Sorry, I'm supposed to be up here already. Uh, so today we've got Acts 3, 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. All right. Good morning. Welcome to the most confusing week of the year. Some of you are like, it's Sunday? I was just off three days ago. Um, And I know I'm supposed to preach a New Year's sermon about reaching your goals. Somewhere right now, there is a preacher preaching a sermon called 2020 Vision about the next year. (laughs) Not doing that. Um, uh, (laughs) um, Okay, so we're talking about actually this passage today, but specifically we're talking about spiritual gifts. I, I promised several weeks ago that we would talk about spiritual gifts, and I started writing that sermon knowing that I wouldn't have a lot of time on the week of Christmas, and that will be the week that I'll do it. So here we are. Um, and we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about sort of um, how the early, like the language that is used about spiritual gifts, how the early church viewed this language. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, um, we're going to look at all the passages that mention the spiritual gifts and what are they, what does it mean. Now here's what we're not going to do. I'm not going to, I know there's always conversation about like healing in tongues, and there's been... I've gotten a lot of emails about, um, you know, scenarios with, with churches praying for resurrection and all kinds of stuff. Now, here's, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go, um, go all skeptic and go into this and, and, and try to show you, here's what speaking in tongues is. It's just a normal, here's what, here's what healing is, and maybe, you know, I, I'm not going to sort of deconstruct all this for you. That I'm, I'm not even interested in, in doing that because... Um, there is no one out there, nobody, who can lay out for you exactly what it was, exactly what all these spiritual, especially the miraculous gifts, what they were and how they worked and exactly, and then, and, then, and then there's no pastor who can say with authority, no theologian or scholar, Bible scholar that can say with authority, and here's the part they play in today's church. There's none of that. We, we end up in the realm of speculation when we get into a lot of these things. Um, uh, and so I'm not going to sort of deconstruct all this for you. I'm going to let most of this remain a mystery simply because that's what it is. It was, it was a mystery to the people who experienced it as well. It was abnormal. It was unique. And if it wasn't unique and abnormal, they wouldn't have written it in the story. Um, they, they wouldn't have included it. If it was just like a normal everyday thing that everyone always experienced, there's no point in writing that in. Um, these were unique, um, fascinating um, oftentimes repeated events of, of sort of miraculous signs and wonders and that continued, and, and there are Christians who claim to continue it today, and I, 
I'm not going to deconstruct all that. I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. Um, here's what I am going to do. I'm going I'm to try to help you get a view of the spiritual gifts today that, that may actually assist in all of this, in, in, in helping. Um, I know we have a, a, a diverse group. We are more, more or less interdenominational. We're not non-denominational. Non-denominational is, is, is stealth Baptist. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> Um, we're more interdenominational. Like, we have people from all walks of Christianity here. Um, and so some of you grew up with the miraculous gifts. Um, that's awesome. Some of you did not and were, and were told that they're not for today. Um, I, I'm not going to touch any of that. Uh, I'm going a different route today, and I think it will help make sense when I'm done here. So I'm going to open a word of prayer, and then uh, and we'll build some context before we go. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for everything that you were doing in our midst. Thank you for... Everyone that you've brought here, thank you for the, uh, the time with family and friends that we've all um, been experiencing, and, and uh, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, help us to celebrate these times. Um, right now, allow us to be present and hear, allow us to be calm and patient, um, let us listen for you, let us uh, understand what, what it is that you want us specifically, those gathered in this room at this moment, what you have for us in this world. Um, what you want us to focus on, change our hearts, change our minds, refocus us on the things that are the most important. And uh, we pray all this thing in your name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> let's start, um, as I normally do, with what it's like to live in Rome. Because you can't understand the scriptures unless you understand uh, really what it meant for the people who wrote them to exist in the world in which they existed. So um, part of living in the Roman Empire was knowing all about and benefiting from the victories of the empire. There were always, this was the Roman Empire, there were always wars being waged and always um, the borders of Rome were being expanded into new territories, new cities were being taken over, the army would march in and they would show up and they would say, hey, good news. You're Romans now. And if they said, no, we're not, then they would all die. And that was the choice they were given, die or become like us. And they're like, oh, we're Roman now. Give me one of those fan hats. Um, And they would all become Romans. Uh, And every time this happened, there would be sort of uh, announcements that had to be made because propaganda, the propaganda, the propaganda machine in Rome was massive. And so here's what would happen. There would, every time a new territory is conquered, there would be um, a triumphal procession, a parade, if you will, um, that would accomplish several different things. Um, this will all connect to spiritual gifts. You will see how in a few minutes. Um, one of the things it would do is it would, this parade would happen in different cities. Um, the specific city that was conquered and was now Roman would, would, would receive a triumphal procession parade where the army would be paraded through, um, as well as some really interesting things um, that you probably had never seen before from the center of the empire. Um, works of arts, um, animals, elephants, um, all kinds of things that you had never seen. And it would sort of be a picture of, this is the new kingdom. This is uh, what has been brought to you. This kingdom is now being established, and its borders are being pushed. You are now citizens of the, of the kingdom of Rome, of the Roman Empire. You are now followers of the emperor and our king. Um, and here's what it means to be. And, and they would 
travel through and show them sort of elaborate displays of what it means to be Roman. Now, this parade would also uh, go through Roman towns that had long been established as Roman towns. And as they're traveling through, they're going to be showing off um, amazing things from these conquered lands. So crocodiles and alligators and hippopotami, plural for hippopotamus, many hippopotamuses, traveling, um, and they're bringing them all through and displaying them, and, and, and you have never seen anything like it, and there's plants that you've never seen, and fruit, you've never tasted foods you've never heard of, and herbs and spices, and they're traveling through and, and passing out these things and showing that they're not passing out hippopotamuses, but they're, they're showing you, like, here's what the new world looks like, and all of this was important. Now, before the parade entered a city, there would be sent out evangelists, um, Evangelists, as we know them, are like street preachers and stuff, proclaiming um, the gospel. Um, this is an ancient word. This is not originally a Christian word. Uh, it comes from the word euangelion. We've talked about this before. Uh, euangelion, it, 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 it contains the, um, the sort of the, the ancient word for good tidings, for um, good news. And um, this, uh, these evangelists were evangelists for the Roman Empire. And they would go city to city ahead of the parade and they would march in and they would say, they would gather a crowd and these evangelists would preach the gospel. Not the gospel as we understand it, but the gospel of Rome, of the Roman Empire. And if you've been here a while, you know what the gospel is. Um, The gospel is a proclamation that there is a new king and it is the message about how this king became king and what it means for the world around us. It is... Um, it is the, the word gospel is often confused for just truth or faith or whatever. Gospel is a message about a new king who is in charge. Um, and these evangelists are going to preach the gospel in this city and say, and the king is coming back now. He's on his way here. I would like for you to receive and accept this gospel and have faith, put your faith in our king. The word faith, of course, is the word pistis, which we've talked about before, means allegiance. So all of this is very empire-centered, very political. Um, they would, these evangelists would enter in, preach the gospel, and ask you to make a faith decision for the empire. If you've ever been to any church in the last 50 years, you've heard this language. This is Roman, ancient Roman language. Um, now, if you wanted to take part in putting your faith in the king or the worship ceremony that would take place, um, when the emperor showed up or when the army and the, and the entire um, parade showed up, you would all gather in the center square, and you would sing and dance and play music, and the emperor and all of the troops are going through, displaying all these goods and throwing out gifts. Um, and these gifts are oftentimes coins that have been minted with the story, sort of symbols that tell the story of how the emperor um, won the battle. Um, ancient Roman coins were very much like newspapers. You would exchange them, and as you exchange them, you would read sort of the stories, the political narrative that Rome had for you to understand. Um, and these people are gathering, and they're worshiping, and they're singing. It's very much like a, like a church service, and the emperor's coming through. They're hail to the king. We put our allegiance in you. We put our faith in you, singing songs about the greatness and the, the glory of the king, who is, they would talk about as the son of God as well. And they would receive gifts from the conquered land. Now, Paul writes to the church, uh, and the early Christians were also very good at propaganda, and they used all of the words of the empire, as you have been noticing. Um, 
they preached the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus was now king, um, and that Jesus had won the victory in the spiritual realm and is now king of the world, and his kingdom is, has come and is expanding evermore and evermore. And Jesus, his, his kingdom will be the entire world, and his kingdom will have no end. And here's how Jesus will bring peace. Here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they're preaching the gospel. They have evangelists, and they're preaching the gospel. Um, and so Paul says, when we gather together in honor of our king, and we worship our king, um, and we celebrate the victory that the king has won that has set all of us free from evil and that is bringing peace to the world, and our, our prince of peace sits on the throne. And as we gather in this way, we receive what Paul calls spiritual gifts from the conquered place, uh, and because Jesus is the victor, and <clears throat> these gifts come from the Spirit. And Paul talks about these things. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit is, is given uh, for, for the common good. So each one of us has something that we have received from God, a, a specific thing that we have received that is intended to be for the good of the church, for the service of God's people, for the good of the community. Now, he's talking specifically in church language, ecclesial language, the gathering of God's people together, um, and how when we come together, God has given each of us a part to play, um, a role to, uh, to fill, um, and work to do to serve the common good uh, and to serve our king as a response to our King. Now, let's pause this conversation for a second and go to today's passage. We have Peter and John, and they are on their way to the temple. And on the way to the temple, they pass a man who was begging for money. Um, it specifically says in the text in Acts chapter 3 that um, they entered into the, the, the gate called Beautiful. It's the Beautiful Gate. It was, it was on, the, on the east side of the city. Uh, it was likely here. Um, this may not be the same gate that was there at the time. This may be from the 4th century, um, but it probably would have been rebuilt in a similar way. So in all honesty, it, it, it may well have looked like this. Um, now it is a Jewish cemetery at the east side of the gate. Um, but the beautiful gate is where this man was sitting. Um, the text tells us several details that are interesting to me. Uh, in verse 2, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth, so his whole life he's been lame, uh, was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So a few things about this. Uh, it tells us that he was carried there every day um, by other people. His friends would bring him there every single day to beg. Um, people often don't realize the poor, um, beggars, those who struggle, um, uh, unlike most of us in this room, um, they tend to live lives of, of, despite what you may think, they tend to have community. They tend to have friends, and there tends to be a community of people that are very much like family to them, that they know and that they love and that they're deeply acquainted with and that understand their struggle and that are, that are in the struggle with them. And so there are people bringing, carrying this man every single day to this gate and setting him there, um, a family that he has. And oftentimes, I think, when we're, when we're trying to solve poverty, we tend to forget um, that 
that there is a community that sort of we need to do everything we can to remain intact and all of this. So um, in the ancient world, one of the things that was really important was where you were begging, just like today. Um, the temple courts would have been a great place to beg because in the ancient world, when people, even today, when people are heading towards a worship ceremony of some type, when they're heading towards temple to worship God, they tend to be more generous. If you've ever felt this when you're on your way to church and you pull up next to a stop sign and there's, there's someone there begging for money, you are like way more likely to give that guy money because of where you're going. You're going to church and you feel you need to live a little more holy life because it's Sunday. Um, but once church is over, most Christians go out and they go have lunch and they tip terribly. So it's really before that. Ask your local waitress about Sunday afternoon tips. Um, now, uh, so this is happening here. And we, let's go a little farther in the text. Uh, verse 3 through 5. It says, when Peter and John, uh, we, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something. From them Now, um, the man wouldn't even look at them. He just called out. He saw figures moving, and he called out and asked for money. And Peter and John, they stop, they look at each other, and they look at this man, and they're standing there. And it says, it's, the text says, they, look, they stared, looked straight at him, like intently looking at the man. And the man wasn't looking back. There's this mutual sort of feeling between... The poor and typically every other class, that they are in the way. They feel the same way. They have a general sense that they are unwanted, that they are a blight on society. And everyone else tends to feel that they are a blight on society as well. But the fact is, the reason we feel that they, we don't want to see them, the reason we feel that they're a blight on society is because they expose um, the imperfections of our society. They expose the systems that lead to this. And so, this man will not bring himself to look at these apostles. And so they call out to him and say, look at me. Eye contact. Look right here. Look in my eyes. And there's this moment where it's like really emotional that, that Luke would describe it this way, that, that these apostles and this beggar, his entire life has been day-to-day simple survival. And there's this moment where there's sort of representing Christ there. Like we are the presence of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we see you. And we look into your eyes. And I think we should ponder this because we do everything we can to avoid eye contact and to not look at those all around us who are so used to it that they don't even reach out to be seen. And so one of the beautiful parts of this passage is well before the miracle It is the standing and looking and recognizing that this is a human being. This is your brother. This is your sister standing here. You are a part of this story with them. And then this happens. It says, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. Um, Let's pause for a second. He didn't have any silver and gold? No. Um, Chapter before, we read that all the Christians were sharing everything in common. They had sold everything they had and had pooled all their money together to form households, a surrogate family and a surrogate government, a surrogate community in the midst of Rome. And so they didn't count themselves as having anything. Everything belonged to the kingdom that they were in. Um, and it says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. 
And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. So, um, not only from Acts 1 to 3, not only do we have um, sort of the presence of the Spirit showing up in the church and there's this wind and there's these tongues of fire above their heads, whatever that looks like, however we explain that, the presence of God was there. Not only that, but we have all these miraculous sort of, we have sort of our own victory parade, right? Like moving through the text. As you move through the text, you can see the gospel of Jesus and the victory parade moving through. You see them speaking in tongues, languages that they did not know, and speaking in tongues. And then you have these, um, um, you have these prophecies, men and women standing up and, and delivering the message of God as if God is speaking through them. And then you have these healings happening. There's all kinds of miraculous stuff. It's like this awakening. It's as if God is showing us what the new world will look like when it fully comes to fruition. The kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is still coming. And, and until it's fully here, we have this parade of the future going through um, in the land where God has the victory, okay? It's, it's very much steeped in the Roman language. It's quite beautiful what we see. Um, and each one of these things says something about God's kingdom. So we have um, the gift of tongues, which is this sort of symbol of the unity of all people in the world, no longer divided by these nations and by these tongues and cultures and, and, and borders. And we have in the kingdom of God, there is one king and one kingdom and everyone is our brother and sister and everyone hears the message of God and can receive it on their own. In this world, gods were local. That's all they were. And people didn't worship other people's gods. But he's telling us, this is going to be different. This is going to include everyone. No one will be left out in this kingdom. And then we have the gift of, of prophecy. And like God is present in our midst and in the kingdom of God. This is how it will be. Us led and ruled and following the spirit of God. In the presence of God, the picture of Adam and Eve in the garden as it was supposed to be. The picture of the priest standing in the temple, right? All of that. This is what this is. And then we have this, uh, someone being made whole, um, in the world that God is building, where Jesus has won the victory and what God is bringing to us is a world where people are restored and made whole again. And as we sit and read these gifts, rather than just attempt to copy them, ponder them, meditate upon them as King David meditated upon the law, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Ponder these things. What do they mean? What does it mean for the world? What does it mean for my vocation in this place? There's something broken I'm supposed to fix. Is there someone left out I'm supposed to include? And ponder these things. They have meaning and purpose. Okay, now, I'm going to leave this for a second. And I want to talk about the spiritual gifts. Because when I was growing up, um, and uh, so when I was growing up, there, there were tons of tests that you could take, right? Tell me, have any of you here taken like spiritual gift tests growing up? Yes, lots of, okay. And here's the thing. Um, if anyone ever offers like a Bible test thing, I'm going to take it just for kicks. Like, because I just, I'm interested in like the dynamics of the whole thing. Because what I've noticed is every test tends to have different focus and, and different, even different amounts of spiritual gifts and a different list altogether. They're all working from different ones. Like Rick Warren's got like eight. And then there's like, there's like um, John Piper's has like five and, and none of them are like the miraculous ones. And then you have like, they're all sort of different depending on the denomination and how they fashioned it to get the results that they want you to have. This is, this is a problem, I think. Like, I, I, th I think we're not being honest. And so here's what I want to do. I want to open up this morning all the passages that talk about the spiritual gifts. I want to make some observations and, and just 
see how it lands, okay? You may not like where we end up, but that's totally fine. That's the vibe. <laughs> Always here. It's like, I disagree with Tommy. Yeah, it's normal. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to start um, with Romans chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. Um, and it says this. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according uh, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, let's, um, let's narrow all this down into a small list. Here we are. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and showing mercy. So we have, we have seven gifts um, here. And... Um, I have seen lists with just seven gifts, gift, uh, gifts of the Spirit, um, and I, I, I see this one um, really in more like sort of moderate congregations, ready? Uh, let's go a little farther. Let's go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I, I went ahead. I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's very big. Um, I, I bolded all of, the, all of the, all the ones that matter, and in here, let's put it up next to the other one. Um, so 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 has wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. All very interesting. This, this is a little more of a unique list. Um, and uh, actually, 18 verses later, there's another list in the same book, in the same letter, and that's in uh, chapter 12, verse 28 through 30. Um, and I've bolded these as well. Let's put all these up side by side. Um, <clears throat> so we have Romans 12, we have 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Corinthians 12 again. And this one is real short, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, uh, guidance and tongues. Uh, so we have eight. So we have seven. We have nine. We have eight. And now Ephesians, just super short list, just brief and to the point. Uh, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. This is the list that I grew up Southern Baptist. This is the list Baptists use because it doesn't have any miraculous things in it at all. Um, it's just, just sort of offices, right? Um, and, and so let's put them all together. This one has five gifts. Uh, um, and so I kind of want to make some observations um, about these. And this is going to end in sort of a thesis. Like not a boring one, like a good, like a, ha- a happy thesis. Ready? Here we go. Um, now, one of the things you will notice is that obviously these lists are not the same at all. Um, we like to think that Paul has <clears throat> a master list of gifts and he, he has them all there and, and he knows them and he's given that master list to the church and oftentimes we are taught to take these tests and pray about this because you have one of the 18 gifts that are listed here. And your point is to, to find out which of the 18 gifts you have and live towards that gift and use that gift and serve that gift, serve the church with that gift. I keep saying the word gift over and over and over, and it's losing all meaning to me. I've been saying it a lot today. Um, okay, so that tends to be how we think of it. But these lists are so different. All of them are, 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 are wildly different. Um, why does, and this is my second observation, the Ephesians list. Why does the Ephesians list seem to purposefully not be exhaustive? Why is the Ephesians list ignoring all of the miracle gifts? All of them. These people didn't know each other. Corinth and Ephesus are very far apart. Um, why didn't Paul give them the same list? Okay. Um, 
Next up, uh, I, I've noticed that the, the church in Corinth has the longest list. Uh, uh, there's two, to be exact. Two separate lists for the same church. And the question is, why? Now, um, depending on what you know about Corinth, um, Bible scholars will tell you that there, there were more than two letters that Paul wrote to Corinth. And in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians is likely actually 3 Corinthians. We just don't have the second letter. Um, I hold out hope that we can find that letter one day. That would blow everyone's mind. That one day we're like, we're going to dig a hole and there's going to be a letter. Oh, it's, second, it's, it's the real 2 Corinthians. And just, do we add that? There'll be a debate, right? What do we do now? Um, okay, anyways. Um, they have a very long list, but why? Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the deal with the church in Corinth. They were a wreck. They were a mess. They were very much infatuated with honor, with glory for themselves. They were very Roman. They had, they had sort of aligned themselves with the, what Paul would call the pattern of this world that he would correct them on. And so 1 Corinthians especially is not a wonderful, happy, loving letter. It is brutal. I know that like we like to read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. We like to read that at weddings. Why? Because it defines love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is... The reason Paul wrote that is because um, he was telling them that you are none of these things on this list. That's what, that's what Paul is doing. He's like, okay, just let me lay it out for you. He says, love, they're, they're debating about all these gifts, uh, gifts and, 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 and Paul says, look, you can debate all these gifts all you want. Like, the greatest gift is love. You don't even know what that is. Love is patient. You're not that. Love is kind. Uh-uh. Love does not, you know, like, it, and it just goes on and on and on. Um, and so when we read 1 Corinthians, we have to understand the church in Corinth initiated the first conversation. They wrote Paul a letter, and what we're reading back to the church in Corinth is Paul sort of volleying with them. This list of stuff is stuff they were arguing about. All these gifts. Who has the greatest gift? What is the greatest one in the church? Is it tongues? Is it healing? Is it teaching? Is it prophesying? What is it? What's it Tell us what it is, Paul. We have all these different gifts. This list likely came from them to Paul, and Paul is responding and including the things that they already mentioned. Um, I don't think, I don't think Paul invented this list. I think Paul is responding to this list just the way that he even writes it. And the last thing that I think is, is super important um, is that all of these lists were all written within like three years of each other. Like, they were really close together. So it's not like Paul, like, there are times when you can read early writings of Paul and then later writings of Paul, and you can see him sort of progressing in his theology and changing it. At, early on in his letters, he's telling people, hey, don't get married because the end is coming, and uh, it's, there's no points. Um, and then a little later, he's like, he's like, okay, it's not here yet. Let's start getting married. Let's go ahead and get married because um, we may have a longer wait than I thought. And so, like, these are people, and they're, they're working stuff, what they know about Christ. They're working it out, like, live in real time. And we have their letters, and we can read them and try to gauge the, their heart, their mindset, and all of this. Um, but Paul's writing all these letters really close to each other. Within, like, two or three years, why is he changing the list so much? Why is it always in flux? Now, here's my thesis, and here's uh, Tommy's, Tommy's thoughts on the spiritual gifts, Okay? my thoughts. I'm going to send them out, send them back, whatever. But just hang on and listen to them for a second. I don't think Paul has a master list. I don't think he has one. Um, I don't think that there is a limited 18 gifts 
and that that's all there is or five gifts, whatever. And that like you have to force yourself into one of these and shoehorn you into like, I don't think that's what's happening at all, okay? Here's what I think's going on. Okay, so there's my first thought. Um, here's what I think's going on. Paul believed that what the Spirit did through people in the fellowship was called a spiritual gift. Things they were already doing to serve each other. Paul was pointing at them and saying, that's a spiritual gift. That is a spiritual gift. That is a part of God's future. That belongs. That belongs. And things that did not belong were not gifts from God. They were remnants of earthly kingdoms that they were holding on to and should, should let go of. And so Paul is watching them as they live their lives and they're writing and they're saying, look, all these things are great, but don't turn them into anything else. These are spiritual gifts. Um, whatever, whatever the Spirit prompts people to do, whatever the specific ability they have to serve the church, whatever thing that they've chosen to do for the community can be simply, in Paul's mind, called a spiritual gift. There's a reason Paul doesn't mention apostle to the church in Rome. Rome, Rome Romans was the, the most important writing of Paul that we have, and he doesn't mention apostle in his spiritual gift list well, probably because, in all honesty, Paul likely didn't think anyone in that church had the gift of apostleship. That's all. It's not much more than that. I don't think there's any reason to come up with these very big, detailed, difficult doctrines. I, Paul is looking at them, and, and he's pointing out all of the ways that they serve each other. Sometimes he literally just says, helping. Like, that's one of the gifts, helping people. Define that. Eh, are you helping people? Like, that's a spiritual gift. Like, some people are, are more drawn to be servants of other people. Um, and so here's the thing. The question is not, which of these 18 gifts do I have? The question is rather, how am I equipped to meet the needs of these people? That is the question that Paul wants his people to ask in his churches. What are you capable of doing? In what ways are you capable, do you see that you can get involved in, that you can affect change in? What is it? Can you engage in that? I mean, Let's get very tangible, shall we? We'll start real small and we'll, and we'll work our way up. Um, are you good with numbers? Do you know how unique you are? Most of us hate numbers. Um, are, you, are you patient um, with sick people? Are you patient with elderly people? Are you just a generally patient person with people whom you have to have patience with? That is a gift that you have been given to serve the church. Are you, are, you, are you capable of engaging, engaging with strangers in, in just conversation as if you have known them for a long time? I'm not, and it blows my mind that you can do that. Like, just they, you feel like everyone's your friend. That is a, a gift. Are you able to organize everything that you see? Like, you just see it, you're like, that should be organized. I can't organize a sock drawer. Like, I can't do it. Um, are you able to see a better way to do things than, than they are currently done. I, I guess they would call that um, maximizer. If you read Strengths Finders, they call that being a maximizer. Is that you? Like, do you see? Can you look at something and say, it's, I understand it. I understand why it exists. It could be better, and here's what. Here's how. And here's what we could do. Simple things. And you're able to see things that others can't. Let's work a little bigger, um, on a bigger level. Do you have disposable income? Not a lot of people have disposable income. That is a gift to the church, to your community, to the place in which you live. It is a gift for the common good, according to the apostles. Um, are you are very knowledgeable about human psychology? Do you understand emotions? Do you understand how the human mind works? 
If you study this this year, that is a gift. So many of us are so bad at communicating with other people. Um, Are you able to fix and maintain things that break? That is a gift. Not very few people are actually handy and and able to keep things up and moving. Let's go a little farther. Um, Do you possess a musician's ear, um, an artist's eye, a, a designer's sense of space? that you know what to do to a space to make it feel more serious or more joyful or like, and how to arrange things. All of these are useful in the aesthetic of the church, in, in connecting people with the reality of what we are here to do. Um, and let's get a little more spiritual with it. Are you able, because some of the spiritual, some of the gifts, spiritual gifts that Paul says are spiritual gifts, they're just regular tangible gifts like service. Um, but they're included on the same level with the spiritual gifts. But some of the things we would recognize as spiritual are, um, maybe you are, are able to, um, to listen calmly to the Spirit and be led in, to, to be led by the Spirit of God calmly when the world around you is in absolute chaos, when everyone around you is freaking out and they're panicking and they don't know what to do. And maybe you are the one person who can sit in that calmness um, and, and listen to God. That is a gift. And we need you. Are, you. Um, are you able to speak truth to very powerful people with no regard for what they're capable of doing to you? That lines with, up with the gift of prophecy. Like, if that is you, you are a gift to the church. And you haven't been set here to look at everyone else and think, why am I the only one doing this? You, you have a gift. Encourage us. Lead us into it, show us how it works, and explain to us why you are so brave and how you can just speak the truth to very powerful people. Um, are you able to communicate across racial, racial boundaries in ways that many of us are not capable of? Many of us don't know what to say, don't know how to do it, are worried about misunderstanding and offending, but you live in that world and you can do this. That is a gift to the church. That is a gift equal with the gift of tongues. Like you can connect and bring people in. Um, are you capable of, of relating to people who don't fit in to regular cultural societal norms, but you still see them as wanting to follow Christ and you can launch off into uncomfortable spaces and bring people in and, 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 and sew them right into the fabric of the church? That is a gift. All of these things are gifts. All of them. Um, our understanding, I believe, has always been mistaken. We have been trying to force everyone into one or two or three or four or five different gifts and saying, saying every church has to have these. And, uh, and we've been forcing people and shoehorning them into something that they do not fit in. But we forget that these are not our gifts. These are, these are God's gifts. These, and these gifts are not given to us. They're given to the body of Christ. Whatever it is that we are capable of doing, we must do as a response to the victory, to the world that God is building. Our lives should continually be, when we gather together, a parade of victory, the parade of gifts always going by and us saying, look at, look at what this person is doing. Look at the, do you, there are hundreds and hundreds of volunteers here working so much behind the scenes and you will never see them. And some of them want it that way. Some of them, that's how they want it to be. 
And it's this parade of like, it's the victory parade. And they've all received these gifts and they're all taking part and celebrating it. I mean, I would argue that instead of limiting ourselves to the 18 gifts uh, where there is bound to be some people who are left out, Paul would want us to understand that you have a part to play. And I I would point back to verse six, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. What comes along with this idea of mine that, that I don't think, and I'm not the only one that holds this view. I could, I could, I could five or six different biblical scholars that, that, uh, that I have learned stuff like this from. Um, this means that everyone has a part to play. And I, I know you hear that and you think, well, of, of course, everyone's always had a part to play. That's not true. Um, the developmentally handicapped, the joy that they bring to the community, that is a gift. That is a spiritual gift that nobody else is bringing to the table. And they, not, they may not be teachers and apostles or prophets, but they have a spiritual gift which very few of us possess. The autistic, the, just those who, who are incapable of serving in, in, in other ways have been given a gift, and it is our job to let them exercise it and to cheer them on as they do. Like, we need you. I have, the, I, I have certain gifts, and I'm missing so many gifts. I have the gift of teaching. I have the gift of, I, I'm a musician. But I, I have a, honestly, I have a, a bit of a, a social handicap. I get social anxiety. I don't know how this works, but this works. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't hold conversations very well with people I, I don't know very well. Stuff dead ends real fast, and it gets really uncomfortable. And some of you have experienced that. I've given you that pleasure. Um, but... I watch people. I mean, my wife is one of these people, and I, I, I watch some of you like, everyone's your friend already, and you can just talk to anyone. You have the words to say. And, and I and went out with her. I just kind of stand behind her while she talks to people, and I'm like smiling like this. I have no idea how she does this. Like, I can't, unless it's like focused conversation, like, oh, I have to talk about this. Okay, I'm in. I can't just shoot the breeze. It doesn't work. Like, um, those who can easily carry on conversations with complete strangers, again, um, you know what to say to make people feel at ease. That's hospitality. That is vital for a church. Those of you who feel like, oh, Watermark, it's not a welcoming place, and I've heard this a lot. They're looking at me. I, I don't have that particular gift. But if you feel you do, then you have a job to make this place the most welcoming place that you think it should be. If it's what you think the kingdom will be like and should be like, you better exercise that here. Um, I don't know how to, I'll be honest, I don't know how to help the poor. But I'm a Bible scholar. I understand why we should. I understand. I can explain to you backwards and forwards, up and down. Here is why we should help the poor. Here is why we know it's our responsibility. And anyone who is ignoring the poor is ignoring this and this and this teaching of Christ and this word of the apostles and this action in the scriptures. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to do it. And so I submit to the missiologists in the room, the people who know how to help the people who need help. And I email them and I call them and I go sit with them and I listen. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. If I want to get my family involved in serving the poor, I can't do it by myself. I need other people who already know how to do this. I know I should, though. I, um, I, again, I don't know how to organize a sock drawer, but we're surrounded by people who can organize. And I don't get it. But I'm so glad they're here because things can be a mess. Um, I don't know anything about, about mental health. And so rather than being a pastor who pretends I know everything and say, well, I know about this topic and this topic and I can take all the... Ca-. No, 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 no. Like I can, 
I'm here to teach you about the Bible and, and, and help you understand God in, in various ways. But if you need help, if you need mental, emotional health, psychological help, I'm going to submit to our counselors. That's what I'm going to do. Because we all have a part to play. We all have a role. We all are equals in this thing. We have different roles that we cannot perform unless other people are gathered here together. I don't know a lot of things, and so we submit to each other. What I do have, I give to you. And what I'm asking is the same. What do you have? Can you offer it to us? It is a gift from God for us, for the common good, for all of us to be filled up. And we need it. Um, The parade is still going on. Constantly. And it should be. I'm going to end here. Why don't we, uh, our communion servers, why don't you go ahead and take the elements and and uh, spread around the room, if you could. Um, today, I, I want us, before we take communion, I, I want us to sort of pause and ponder um, our own abilities, our own gifts, the, the, the way God has created us. You, uniquely created for this time, this moment in history, with these specific gifts, that you were put here for a reason, big or small, It is a part of the building that God is constructing in this world. And so think about that. Ponder that. Think of the ways that you could serve, that we can serve you and that you can serve us. Our communion servers, you guys can come on forward. I want to invite all of you to take communion with us. Um, You don't have to be a member of the church. Um, You don't even have to fully understand what you're doing. There's the body of Christ broken for you. the blood of Christ poured out for you. It's a symbol of the table of fellowship of the early Christians. It's the symbol of us being invited to God's table. No matter what you bring, no matter how holy or sinful you are, we all receive the same thing. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you, uh, for your healing, for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. Take a piece and dip it and eat it. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for every single person you've gathered here. I pray that... Uh, you would guide us into what we are supposed to be. Awaken us to what we can bring to the community. Let us, let us work uh, for this church, for the common good of those in this church, that it may flow from us, that we may overflow into the community, and that we would become a vital sort of well of drinking water for this community, to give them life. In your name. Amen. Take some time, ponder Jesus, and talk to him.